School Hour. Our series here is Living as a Church. Ordinarily, Pastor Rob would be here, uh, but uh, my name is Jared Harfield. I'm uh, a lay elder here and stepping in today. Today, we're going to be talking about church leadership. And before we begin, let's just pray and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for what Christ has purchased by his blood and how we are uh, benefiting even moment by moment by his constant intercession for us. We thank you for what he's purchased and what he's created and what the Holy Spirit himself is doing among us. Help us this morning as we think about church leadership, how we are to uh, obey and submit and be glad and even receive the goodness of Christ himself through them. Help us, we pray, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we consider church leadership, and specifically the interaction between the leadership and the congregation. How do we interact? You'll recall that a few weeks ago, uh, Rob, Pastor Rob, taught on the biblical offices of elders and deacons. And in that class, the emphasis was on how God's given us instructions for how to organize ourselves in the church for his glory and our good. And today, what we're talking about is more of the personal connection between the congregation and leadership in the church, the elders. Specifically, what we as church members can do to promote unity through our faithful submission and encouragement of leadership. And even just as a a lighthearted example, just imagine if every Sunday your pastor had someone come up to him and say, oh, that was a long one, pastor. That was a long one. That was rough. You know, just a lighthearted example of how, just how discouraging that would be, and how that doesn't really, that doesn't really provide a, an example of submitting to, to his ministry and actually would be of no use to the church at all. So we ask ourselves this question, how can we as church members relate to our leaders in a way that promotes unity and brings glory to God? If you have your Bibles, it's a very, very significant passage, very helpful. Hebrews 13 We want to glorify God in all that we do, and we want to preserve the unity of the church. And to that end, Hebrews 13, 17, tells us to obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. So we live in an egalitarian, individualistic age. So the words obey and submit are very strong words for our culture. I think in a a healthy church, they're just normal words, and we understand and appreciate them. But for those who are outside of that world, this might be a, a real challenge. So we submit ourselves to God's word and, 
And we see that, that these words aren't there simply to maintain order, but actually submission in the church is to our advantage. It's through submission that we model the godly humility that should characterize us. There's something Christ-like about submission. It's through submission that we maintain unity in the midst of disagreement, demonstrating that there's all sorts of opinions about all sorts of matters, and yet our shared calling in Christ is more important than those opinions. Ultimately, our trust or confidence in those who are over us is much more than mere trust or confidence in men. For, well, you know the saying, the best of men are men at best. Instead, it's a confidence in Christ who gives leaders to his church and works through them for our blessing. So we'll start today just positively. What can we do to encourage our pastors? How can we encourage the leadership of our church? As it said in Hebrews 13, we want to make the pastor's work a joy. Then we'll devote the rest of the class to examining how we should respond when we disagree with the leadership of, our, of their church. So, making their work a joy. One of, one of the best things that we can do to promote unity in, in the church is to see pastors, elders, as a God-given gift to the church and a God-given delight as we see their work. Our calling in Scripture, as we just saw, is to obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. We should never underestimate the connection between a congregation's attitude and their leader's ability. Uh, I, was, I sat in a, a session where Mark Dever was teaching a bunch of uh, young guys in London some years ago, and he said a line just in passing that just stuck with me. He said, a culture of suspicion will shrivel a man. I think that's true. So many unhappy church situations would be resolved if congregations saw their leaders as partners in the church's great calling to reflect the glory of Christ rather than adversaries to overcome. Your pastors aren't your enemies. They're given to you by God as a gift. And yet, leaders are human beings. Leaders struggle with indecision. They find that the decisions they need to make exceed their wisdom and experience. They can struggle with insecurity. Leaders can be hurt and discouraged in their work by unaware or insensitive church members. And we often assume that church leaders must be perfect. You know, this, these godly men, they, they probably have no doubts, they probably have no insecurities, no, no, un, no wavering of anything, and that's just not true. So then when we see signs of imperfections in, in these human leaders, either in sin, questionable decisions, or, or just they're just quirky, we feel empowered to deride their leadership. Remember that, that the congregation is the object of the leader's careful watch. They are keeping watch over your souls, Hebrews 13, 17 says. God values your soul, and therefore he appoints leaders to warn of spiritual danger. So, so if, if this is for our good to have pastors, overseers, well, how do we, how do we help them do their jobs? It's just a few ideas. Uh, is there a handout? Oh, okay. 
stay tuned. I think some are coming. <clears throat> First thing, believe in Jesus Christ and obey him. It's, it's obvious, but always worthy of mention. We can encourage our leaders by believing the gospel and walking in obedience to God's word. You think of 3 John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And for any parents uh, in this room, I think you understand that. But even just generally to know that there's joy that pastors have in seeing members of their church walking with the Lord, being sustained and preserved during trials, to see the gifts that God has given them being used in fruitful ways, to be simply believing the gospel and walking in light of the gospel is such an encouragement to your pastors. There's joy, and of course, how will church leaders be encouraged by our delight and growth in Christ if we keep it to ourselves? Imagine, imagine that you're going through a really hard trial. And I, maybe some of you don't need to imagine because maybe you are going through a hard trial. How would the pastors know what you're going through that they could come alongside you and encourage you and help you and counsel you if you don't tell them? Or even on the other side, maybe, maybe the Lord has been ministering to you and strengthening you, maturing you, encouraging you, and you're just so grateful for what he's doing in your life. And none of the pastors know about it. Oh, they, they'd love to know if things are hard, they'd love to know if things are going well or just the, the normal because we love you, we care for you. So tell them, tell the elders the encouraging and the ways that you need prayer and counsel. Number two, cultivate and preserve unity in the body. Paul wrote to the Philippians, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. When the elders look for deacons, diaconal candidates, they look for someone who is a shock absorber, a shock absorber, someone who has a calming and clarifying effect in touchy situations. And yet, that's not just for deacons. I mean, that's something that we all aspire to do is to be of, uh, of a mature mind and to be able to respond to situations peacefully. James even wrote, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. And that kind of a congregation, if we're all absorbing shocks and we're, not, we're actually not causing more rifts, but we're actually smoothing out issues in the church just in our, our, our life on life together, that's a huge encouragement to its leaders. So how can we promote unity by being shock absorbers? How would that, what would that look like? First, act towards others in love. First Peter 4 verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. <clears throat> Second, and along those lines, we remember that our opinions are temporary, but yet the people that we share these opinions with are eternal. Something to remember. Uh, I, had a, I had a man yell profanity in my face this week. Maybe you've had that before. And my response to him was, I'm a person. And that right away brought down the intensity. 
In the same way, people with whom we disagree are eternal. So to be careful in the midst of disagreement <clears throat> that we're not tempting one another to sin in anger or resentment. That person wasn't in the church, by the way. That, that person was at work. <laughs> Just to clarify. Maybe not needed, but. Uh, third, uh, encourage, others, encourage others to trust our elders. I think what's, what's needed in this church especially is there are people in this church who've been coming for a long time, 15, 16 years, some of them, and then there are people who've been here a month, and there are people who have a well-developed ecclesiology and, and a, a mature way of, of seeing the, the leadership of the church and just a, a healthy church structure and people who just have no idea, and this is just something we can do to encourage one another to to be biased towards trusting the elders, not to be cynical of them. So when someone comes to you with concern about the decision of a church leader or the church elders as a whole, and maybe we know the rationale, maybe we know the reason why that decision was made, well, we can remind them, well, actually, this is why they made that decision. And, well, perhaps if you don't have that information or that explanation isn't good enough for them to persuade them, well, then like a Matthew 18 model, just to encourage that man or woman, boy or girl, to go talk to them. Go talk to the elders rather than letting things fester. Number three, pray for church leaders. Second Corinthians 1, verse 10 to 11, Paul writes, On him, that is Christ, we have set our hope that, we will continue, that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This passage reminds us of two reasons why we should pray regularly for church leaders. First, it's a difficult task. A difficult task to act in human weakness to shepherd a congregation of redeemed sinners. Sinful people. Redeemed. But additionally, we should pray for church leaders so that we may rejoice when God answers those prayers. We then return thanks to him. We'll be awed by his power and experience the joy that is ours in Christ. Just an aside, nothing to do with that, well, kind of, sort of. Just the, the reminder to, to pray small prayers for small things in your life. And watch how God answers them. Watch how God answers the small prayers, which then encourages us to keep on praying those small prayers for the small things in our life, and then pray for the bigger things, and the bigger things, the bigger things. Watch how God answers prayer. Give praise to him. What an amazing turnaround that Paul explains here in this next section. Number four, express your love for them. Express your love for them. In 2 Corinthians, Paul describes how this felt for him. He says, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. What a turnaround, because at the beginning of that passage, Paul said, for this body of ours had no rest. 
to now my joy was greater than ever. Consider the fact that when you encourage anyone, but we're thinking about church leadership, if you were to encourage your pastor, who is perhaps discouraged on many things, you encourage him, and that is God comforting him. Even if you're not naturally one of those encouraging types, your words might actually sink down deeper as a result. Not flattery, but sincere encouragement and thanks. Number five, seek their counsel and gratefully accept their reproof. The advice of church leaders, whether solicited or unsolicited, should be a valuable part of our lives. Part of their job as shepherds is to identify and address problems in our lives before they become damaging. And that just goes back to what, what we were saying just a little while ago about the need for the pastors, your pastors, to know what's going on in your life, for them to speak into it. They must know what's going on in, uh, going on in, in our lives. And so um, we have a larger church, but just to, to think, maybe you could pick one elder, and that's a, at least one, maybe more, but at least one elder knows generally how you're doing, how things are going in your home, uh, big decisions on the horizon, uh, struggles that you might have, encouragements that you have, the book that you're reading lately that's been a real help to you, just stay connected to the elders. Talk regularly. And of course, treat godly rebuke as, as the, uh, one or more elders might, may, might speak into your life to, to encourage or admonish and just give a bit of counsel. We read in Proverbs 9 verse 8, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. There is something rich and good about being rebuked by a godly person. I've received that from our elders over the years. Um, just little comments, just little bumper rails, and it's been so helpful for me. Number six, believe the best about their character and decisions. First Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13, Paul writes, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So I'm, I'm just going to read a paragraph from a book called Life in the Father's House by uh, some, some fellows, Mac and Swavely. Captures this point from Scripture well. They say this, Though we are always prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, our sinful flesh has a strong tendency to be suspicious, skeptical, or even cynical towards others. This is especially true of church leaders. Many members make a regular habit of enjoying roast the preacher at their Sunday meal, and labels like power trip are often carelessly tossed around when difficult decisions are made by leadership. They continue, but biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13.7, believes all things, hopes all things. A loving member will assume the best about his leaders and trust them until some clear words or actions cause him legitimate concern about their wisdom or motives. One thing is for sure, you don't for sure know the motives of someone else. You just don't. You might have a hunch or a by their fruit, you shall know them. 
but you don't know the deepest parts of their hearts, that what's driving the decisions they're, make, they're making. So often we don't get upset by what's done, but why it's done. And it's totally presumptive unless the person tells us why they did something. And sometimes we don't even know ourselves the deepest motives of our hearts. So this is a fitting place to discuss godly criticism of our church leaders. Our leaders are human beings. They're imperfect, just like the rest of us. So we should remember to be humble, loving, and kind when we approach a leader with appropriate constructive criticism. We should, we should be careful. Just watch the frequency of the criticism you might bring towards an elder or a church leader, small group leader, or anyone, a spouse, a friend. Just be aware of how frequent you bring up these constructive comments. But we should remember that there are occasions which do call for godly criticism, and we should not abdicate our responsibility in this area. <clears throat> Applies to church leaders just as much to church members. We should continue to work hard to cultivate a culture where loving, thoughtful criticism is given freely and received and invited freely. Remember Proverbs 25, 11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So just as a review of what we talked about, six ways we can obey the scriptural command in Hebrews 13, walk in obedience to Christ, cultivate and preserve unity, pray for church leaders, express your love for them, seek their counsel and accept their reproof, and trust their character and decisions. And I, I can't go on without saying just how well this church does this and what a, a mark of grace and God's kindness to us as a body and as individuals that we have that culture and yet we continue to work to preserve that culture and press on with that. So we praise God for his grace. Next section is, well, what do we do when we disagree? Because we will disagree when we disagree with church elders, and just, just as a pause, in a few weeks' time, uh, Rob is going to be preaching a class on, well, what do you do when your elders are actually in sin? Because that's an issue to think about. We're not talking about that today. That's coming. Inevitably, there will be times, though, for all of us when our elders make decisions that we don't agree with. If you remember that whole coronavirus thing, um, that was a real time of testing for churches. Time of testing for this church. Praise God. We're here together and growing with not too many grudges, I don't think. A lot of forgiveness and a lot of grace. So, as we go on trying to preserve that, our response when there is disagreement will go a long way to either promoting unity or fostering dissent. There's a, is, a, is the handout out now? Okay, we got them. So there is a diagram. Mark doesn't have one. Sorry, Mark. I don't have one either. Uh, there's a helpful diagram in your handout with one axis measuring how clear the answer to a particular question is and the other measuring its seriousness. I'm going to refer to it for the rest of our discussion. Even if you don't have the diagram, you can sort of catch the, the gist of it.
So four quadrants. In the upper left quadrant, we have those things that are clear in Scripture but not serious. And I don't know, what do you put in that box? <laughs> what do you, what? Because if it's clear in Scripture, it's pretty serious, yeah? So I don't, maybe you can think of something to put in that box. I don't know what to put in that box. Uh, we should listen if God has made something known. Next box, the lower left, we have matters that are neither serious nor clear. So what brand of photocopier should we buy? How long, how long of a time of silence should we have after the service? Maybe good to have spirited discussions and conversations and opinions on these things. But a church will do well to submit to the decisions of its leaders, which are probably delegating many of these questions to staff and other church members. Just as an aside, I don't think he's here, but um, maybe Jared is, but... Michael and Jared do a lot for this church, and they absorb a lot of shock, and they make a lot of decisions. We should be thankful for them. Hey, tell them afterwards. Uh, if you have an opinion about such an issue, speak up. Make your opinions known. Maybe you have something really helpful to offer to that discussion, but, but never in a way that's strident or divisive. Church unity is far more important than what photocopier we get what color the carpets are. Church unity is ultimate. So now the two quadrants on the right where the questions get a little bit more challenging. What about issues that are quite serious but not at all clear? Should we recognize someone as an elder or purchase a large piece of property? Well, it's in these situations that a congregation should listen carefully to their elders, give them the benefit of the doubt, and that's why God has placed them over us. Even in this church, though, you'll notice that for for major decisions, there is often some sort of a, call it a committee, or just, just bringing people in who might have uh, something to offer as far as input. We, we've brought people in from the congregation to help us make financial decisions. It's thinking about real estate. We've brought people in from the congregation to help us even with the purchase of this building and thinking about things like that. So you can even trust that the elders, when they need wisdom outside of what they have, are looking to bring that in so we can trust them. Doesn't mean that it's not difficult to accept. So how do we disagree, even with that we disagree in a godly way about things uh, where the answer is far from clear, but it is serious. A few suggestions is first, we should recognize that we have an important role to play, and that is to bring information to the elders. You know something, you've got an inside scoop let the elders know. The elders aren't aware of every need in the church. They're not aware of every nuance. They don't have perfect information. So the church congregation plays a helpful role by bringing that information to the elders' attention. A simple email, conversation on Sunday. But then after that, you have to trust what they do with that information. That's key. Second, if you disagree with the decision that the leadership has made, sit down and talk with them to understand their reasoning. The elders at this church are so eager to do that. So eager. We see spiritual care for this congregation as our highest duty in this church. You may even notice that you might have a, an issue or a, a concern or question about a decision that's been made or is being made, 
and the, the elder or elders will take interest and want to hear what you're saying. We'll, we'll have that conversation. But you'll even notice that the elders in those conversations will be seeking to shepherd you. Perhaps it's anxiety. Perhaps it's fear of the future. Perhaps it's just an unwillingness to go with their leadership. Well, they're, they're going to try, we are going to try to encourage you and, and lead you in those conversations. So give yourself full opportunity to be persuaded by us and approach the matter with a teachable spirit. If even after talking to the elders, you still disagree on a matter in this category, that's okay. That's fine, isn't it? Disagree. Every Christian is not going to agree on everything all the time. But you can trust them and still disagree with them. It's really where the rubber hits the road in regards to following Hebrews 13, 17. It's one thing to obey leaders when you are enthusiastic and you are just totally aligned with their vision. It's another thing when you don't quite square up with that and yet you still choose to obey them and submit to them, even trusting in Christ for what happens. Lots of applications for marriage as well. The church submits because we are acting in faith. By faith, we trust Christ himself to rule over us by his word and spirit and through his leaders. Third, uh, there's quite a bit of mention of gossip and the imperatives to not gossip in the scriptures. Be careful how you discuss this issue with others. Our, our unity in Christ will bring greater glory to God than us all having everything neatly fit into total agreement on our opinions. Don't go behind the elders lobbying support of the congregation to try to overturn their decision. Don't deride the elders' decision in your conversation with others, and so making it more difficult for them to submit to the elders. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. If you were to speak up at a uh, members meeting, for example, for those of you who are gospel partners, consider how you speak about a, uh, an issue. Consider, consider the tone in which you are presenting your opinions. Finally, when others attempt to deride leadership in conversations with you, so they're coming up to you and they start talking, explain to them that they should talk directly to the elders if they have a concern that there are good and bad ways to critique those decisions. First, a church is not a place for secret campaigning and canvassing. If a member of the congregation feels that the elders are crossing a line of discipline or doctrine, then he or she should be clear with the elders what they are doing. Second, if there is an issue in this category where the where the elders are advocating a clearly unbiblical position on something, and you've sought to move towards them, to talk, to have those conversations, well, not in a, not in a slandering, spreading, spreading dirt all over town, but maybe you go to another like-minded church in Calgary, maybe a sister church, a church that, that we respect and we're like-minded, and you carefully ask for their counsel. Of course, this, this happens after you've already tried to speak with, with your, your own elders. It's a Matthew 18 model. 
preferably a church who knows this church and its elders well. Third, we must take great care to protect the name of Christ in the midst of what may well be a heartbreaking disagreement. Oh, um, there's a, there are a few churches, well-known churches, that doesn't, doesn't matter which ones, but then the word comes out that there's huge rifts happening in those churches. Churches that we would respect and, and really, um, really admire and be thankful for. It's interesting how people can then take issues to the media. And then it's, in our day and age, with social media, with, with the internet, global awareness of lack of unity in the church, division in the church. Oh, if the Apostle Paul were writing a letter to today's church, there, you can bet there'd be a lot of social media applications and smartphone applications and, and knowledge spreading quickly. Um, Paul would, would really admonish the church at Corinth uh, for taking disagreements between church members to the civil court. Without going into, into it too much, uh, we should be able to, by the power of the gospel, preserve the unity and find agreement. That's even, I think, the reason for the book of Philippians. The purpose of the book of Philippians is for two people to agree in the Lord. I'll leave it there. Think about how God views such tactics to expose issues in the church. The reputation of Christ must be paramount in our minds. We must take no action, speak no word, regardless of the circumstances that would ever defame Christ's name in the eyes of the world around us. In conclusion, we're actually, we're doing pretty good for time today, which is terrifying because it means that there's questions coming. In conclusion, drawn out very, very slowly, I'll close with the words of an elderly pastor, Edward Griffin, spelled, uh, speaking to his church on his retirement, these are words that we will do well to heed in regard to all those God has given us as leaders. This is what he says in 1809, by the way. For your own sake and for your children's sake, cherish and revere him who you have chosen to be your pastor. Already he loves you, and he will soon love you as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. It will be equally your duty and your interest to make his labors as pleasant to him as possible. Do not demand too much. Do not require visits too frequent. Should he spend in this way half of the time which some demand, he must wholly neglect his studies, if not sink early under the burden. Do not report to him all the unkind things which may be said against him nor frequently in his presence allude to opposition if opposition should arise. Though he is a minister of Christ, consider that he has the feelings of a man. Edward Griffin from A Tearful Farewell from a Faithful Pastor, 1809. So may we so bring glory to Christ through such care of our leaders. And interesting, uh, just because that's, that's the kingdom of God, isn't it? And that's the goodness of authority that is so misunderstood in our day and age that God gives us gifts under shepherds, under the chief shepherd of Christ to care and watch over the flock. 
And in some beautiful way, we in turn are receiving and caring for them. And that makes it a joy for everyone. To God's praise. Any questions or comments? Great. <laughs> you guys are caring for me. Love it. The, the beautiful thing on a Sunday is sometimes uh, on Sundays, uh, Sundays can be quite rushed and, and hurried. Well, what, maybe with a few extra minutes, and maybe this is an opportunity to go and encourage your elders. Um, go and encourage one another just to think that I don't think there's anyone in this room, just think about encouragement generally, there is no one in this room that is suffering from too much encouragement today. So keep that in mind. Uh-oh. About to change. Yes. Mm, that's a good question. Uh, so the question is, someone is concerned with something they hear in a sermon, how do you go about addressing that? Um, I'll start with, I'll, I'll have two parts uh, of an answer to that question, and I hope I remember both, but I'll start with one, is um, I've, I heard from a, a very helpful podcast, Pastor's Talk, where the, the guys from Nine Marks get together and they they talk all things pastoral ministry. Very, very helpful. They talked about how in Capitol Hill Baptist Church that there is uh, an evening service and typically they have a younger man preach in that service. A younger man, usually maybe one of the interns, uh, an assistant pastor on staff, getting some more experience. Mark Dever, as a senior pastor, he's preaching most. The lion's share of the preaching is coming from him, maybe another associate pastor. But in the evening, that's when the young guys get to sort of, um, yeah, get some experience and, and bless the congregation with their ministry. And something that Mark Dever has said is, there's never been maybe one time there was a huge blunder. But generally speaking, yeah, these are younger guys who are maybe get, getting their theology a bit more precise and they're growing in their gifts, growing in their graces, and every once in a while there's just a little bit of a blip, something they said that just wasn't quite true, wasn't quite accurate, wasn't quite helpful. And what Dever said is, he just leaves it. Doesn't feel like he has to stand up at the end of the service and correct it, um, which I know it's not quite your question, but he just sort of leaves it because he's trusting in the, the regular diet of the word being preached in the church that we're all okay. We're okay when that happens. And then maybe he, he would have a comment with him. Well, you know, you, when you made that comment, you could have gotten this way. So that's, that's his own um, pastoring him. That, that's another thing that could happen is, you know, sometimes people misspeak. Um, you're talking with someone and then they get the wrong name or they, they just say something. You know what they meant, but they said something wrong. Okay, you, just, you can just go with it. Uh, or you can, you can really pick them up. Did you mean this? Um, after a sermon, maybe if someone from this pulpit says something that you disagree with, you could go up to him and say, hey, I just wanted to thank you for your ministry. Thank you. I really appreciated what you drew out about this and this. Just remember, you're encouraging them. You want to make their ministry a joy, not a burden. So you're, uh, and, and 
so you encourage them. Just a, a simple question. You said this, and I didn't quite understand that because I thought this, and this Bible passage says this. It, and then maybe they say, I said that? Oh, sorry, I, oh, I, I misspoke, forgive me. Or then, depending on what the issue is, there's more conversation to be had. Uh, what can sometimes happen uh, is maybe a person not on the Sunday, we've got a big church, there's lots of conversations going on, uh, and forgive me for a long-winded answer, that's just who I am, uh, that uh, maybe an email will be sent into the preacher. Try to avoid Mondays. I'll just, just, Mondays are hard for pastors. They've got the Monday come down. Send it on a Tuesday and just uh, give some encouragement and just ask the question about the particular thing that he said and then let him give an answer. Maybe you got it wrong. Maybe he got it right. Anyways, we've got time to encourage each other and to enjoy fellowship. Let's pray as we close our time. Father, thank you for Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep. Thank you for how he did lay down his life and, and bleed for us. And the wounds now in heaven that bear testimony of the finished work and the, the satisfaction you have that our sins are atoned for and we have an advocate in heaven. Thank you for what we have in this church and even, even as we reflect on years recently gone by and the, the opportunity for division and Satan's schemes which were thwarted by the power of your spirit and the love of, of the saints here in this church, we thank you and pray that you would help us, that we would continue to work and fight and preserve the unity that so far as it depends on us, we would live at peace with each other and love each other even love that covers a multitude of sins. We are all imperfect people, and there are imperfect elders and leaders in this church, but we thank you for your instructions to obey and submit, making it a joy for them, which is a great blessing for this church. May it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.